history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. We're back again with another interview following the 2022 municipal election. And it's going to be... uh, The election, sorry guys, is on October 24th. The only way to affect change is to be part of it. And guys, I am uh, pleased to announce, or uh, to introduce, he's uh, running for City Council of Ward 10, Spadina, Fort York. Fort York. His name is Igor Samardzik. Did I get that right? That is correct. Welcome to the show. Thank so, you for having me. Thank you. And uh, so this is your opportunity to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and then ultimately answer the questions... Why are you running? Why this election? And why now? Thanks, um, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, so my name is Igor Samarzik, um, uh, as folks uh, may know. Um, I'm an urban planner. Um, I've worked uh, with a number of nonprofits and grassroots organizations and initiatives in the past, both in the private and public sector. Uh, including co-founding uh, my own impact firm with a colleague of mine. Um, I've worked on a wide range of issues, including accessibility, public space, public transit, affordable housing, active transportation, uh, and local business development with BIAs. So my, peer, my experience is quite extensive when it comes to city building issues, I'd say. Um, why this election? Um, I'm a resident of Ward 10, but I'm Fort York. Um, I've lived, worked, and sort of uh, played in the downtown Toronto area um, for the better part of a decade now. Um, I think another reason is, um, you know, the the fact that the word is open um, in terms of no incumbents coming in uh, and having the opportunity to sort of have a new sort of slate of um, candidates to, who are putting forth their name to run. Um, seems like the right time in my life in terms of uh, me dedicating uh, myself fully to this job, which is quite an undertaking, as uh, folks may know. Um, I think I have the energy and the stamina uh, and the dedication to the ward and, you know, uh, prioritizing it at this time. Um, I'm passionate about ideas, about community building, about creating relationships to create impact in the day-to-day lives of Ward 10 residents. and then in terms of your uh, final point around uh, why now, um, I think we have a lot of hurdles um, in our society um, coming out of the pandemic, the polarization, um, heightened anxiety. Um, and I think I can help bridge the gap between some of these opposing viewpoints and really understand the depth of issues um, and how we can sort of come up with solutions that are meaningful and that work for people. That sounds amazing. And I'm just wondering if you've had a chance to uh, put together a, a platform, if you have a website you want to share, and, and maybe some of the finer points of um, uh, your platform. Yeah, thanks. I mean, definitely um, folks can check out my website, 
Yor, uh, I-G-O-R, Samarzik, S-A-M-A-R-D-Z-I-C dot C-A. Um, and there you'll find um, uh, a bunch of different information about myself and my team and I are going to be sort of like um, building out um, a little bit more when it comes to my platform um, as we're sort of pushing out my um, agenda and as we're going you know, door to door and seeing what people are talking about. So definitely would you know encourage folks to check that out and sign up. Uh, to get updates when we have something a little bit more robust. Um, but I will say some of the sort of top uh, issues or core issues that um, are things that resonate with me and things that I'm talking about with residents are affordable housing, transit reliability and expansion, climate change and investing um, in our storefronts and main streets um, are sort of general sort of guiding uh, overall platform points. Um, that's something that I just want to share with your audience um, and with folks is, I think more importantly, um, the things that I'm prioritizing when it comes to uh, my platform is the day-to-day issues that folks interact with um, every single day. Um, so that includes things like public infrastructure, like our streets, transit, parks, amenity spaces, garbage, lighting, snow clearing, you know, community centers, libraries. There's an endless list of different ways that folks interact with the city um and although i i think it's great to have you know these uh, overarching policy uh directions and ideologies around you know where our society should move including those major sort of buckets that i listed um i think uh, the way to gain the trust of people and to work with people is to focus on some of these issues that they interact with on a day-to-day basis um and i think this sort of like underpins uh my campaign and my sort of philosophy in terms of um, what I'm trying to do with this uh, movement um, and really sort of prioritizing a community-centered approach uh, to gain the trust of people. Um, I think one of the things that folks will find out about me is that I'm really interested in sort of learning and unlearning as well um, and growing as a person and interacting with folks to figure out, you know, what are the issues that um, affect them and how we can sort of work together and have real conversations um to sort of you know advance um to advance um to advance our society and sort of to benefit the most amount of people i think people want to be sort of heard they want to be listened to and given an opportunity to share their experiences and many times this uh doesn't um happen and many times it sort of turns into an us versus them approach uh, instead of sort of working together um so we need to get back to this type of engagement where people can work together and how we can be sort of solution driven and not just, you know, providing band-aid solutions, which um, often uh, is the case. Absolutely. And um, so as you're doing your door knocking, what are some of the ward concerns that you're you're hearing about? Yeah, so I think there's um, really different um, type of issues that folks are bringing up depending on what type of uh, part of the ward that folks are in. So I think one of the interesting um, situations that have happened because of the um, because of the because of going from forty seven wards to twenty five wards and sort of the the expansion of the ward boundaries. Uh, I think what has happened is that there's quite a different spectrum of issues that affect different. Uh, populations of people depending on where they live in the ward. So, you know, on the waterfront, um, some of the like main things that folks are, you know, talking about when it comes to 
the waterfront LRT that's sort of being proposed um, when it comes to sort of public spaces in that area, folks on the island and, you know, issues with frequency of ferry, for example, um, and the island airport are things that come up when it comes to the east end of the ward. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues is the temporary shelters that we've seen uh, in the city of Toronto um, and the Novotel Hotel on the Esplanade. Um, and, you know, concerns that folks have uh, and the challenges uh, of those temporary shelters. And then um, on the west side of the ward, you know, it flips to transit and transit frequency and congestion. And, you know, how do we um, move as many people as possible while also growing as a city and increasing in density and ensuring that we have enough uh, public infrastructure to accommodate the growth. So it sort of varies depending on what part of the ward uh, folks are in, but the the range of issues uh, is quite wide uh, and seems to, um, you know, uh, for the most part, I mean, there's probably common threats, but seems to affect uh, where people are living and the type typology of where they are in terms of the issues that they're sort of uh, advocating for. Okay. Lots of uh, different kinds of issues. Yep. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about the budget. Um, you know, the reason one of the one of the core reasons that this election is so so important is because there are important <clears throat> decisions practically in every file but specifically with the budget there are important um, decisions that have to be made and they need to be made correctly we don't have the opportunity to mess this up they need to be made correctly and and the status quo, in my opinion, is not working, and it's it's so refreshing to have uh, new candidates, new new counselors, and new ideas, fresh blood. And um, so I'm just wondering about the budget. Uh, I, I I'm I'm going to go over a couple things, and then um, I'll, I'll let you talk. Uh, so, you know, we have a 1.6 billion dollar backlog in in uh, repairs for TCHC. The TTC is going to be, uh, according according to them, half a billion dollar uh, 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 in the hole in terms of a shortfall. Um, I think it's for this coming year. Meanwhile, the TTC CEO just got a 21% increase. And then, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I mean, we have all these festivals and all these um, uh, important events that are important to the city of Toronto, but they need to be self-sufficient because they get tons of money. And I'm talking probably hundreds of thousands, if not more in corporate and uh, private funding, sponsorship funding. And also they get money from the federal government and the provincial government. They don't need money from the city. And I'm specifically talking about organizations like Pride, like um, the Scotiabank Car uh, Caribbean Carnival, and I'm sure there are others. The Santa Claus Parade's another one. These are organizations. They're they're run by organizations. These events, and they, like I said, they take in all this money. So with everything that I've just said, I'm gonna shut up now, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain and, and let you say whatever you want on uh, on the topic of the budget. I mean, I think it's an interesting question and incredibly sort of complex in some ways in terms of um, how do we come up with additional revenue tools um, and how we can sort of continue to grow as a city and also be able to maintain 
um, our current level of services and amenities that we sort of provide. Um, you know, the major source of income for the city um, in terms of our budget um, is through property taxes, which I think account for approximately 31% of our 2022 budget. Um, and the next biggest uh, source of income is transfers from the province from the provincial government and the federal government. And then from there, you know, the percentage of um, income that the city gets, you know, divides uh, between utilities, you know, parking fees, user fees, um, etc. So I think your question is really timely because, you know, just announced a couple of days ago and it's still in the news around, you know, expanded powers for mayors and the, the strong mayor power uh, approach. Um, which is really interesting and something that I'm still sort of diving into and digesting. But one of the benefits um, of those strong mayor powers, I'm not saying that, um, you know, there aren't maybe some, uh, you know, negative um, aspects of it or things that I think would need to be discussed in an open format with council and, done, and more research done. But one of the uh, positives is the ability to include new revenue tools so that the city is able to explore different opportunities and ways of raising more money, um, which I think is an interesting point and something that I think a lot of other larger jurisdictions and municipalities already have in the United States. Um, and so when it comes to our ability to sort of do that, currently I think our hands are you know, somewhat tied in terms of what we can do to raise money. So I think that gives us an opportunity, I think, to look to to see what else we can do creatively. Um, and then I think we need to um, rethink, um, you know, how we um, fund certain aspects um, of the budget and what does that look like. Um, and, um, you know, I think one of these things that sort of comes up is around sort of like maintenance, supports and investments and um, how we sometimes as a city, you know, choose to perhaps not invest uh, in the necessary things that we should and then we end up in situations where things get really bad and we're spending more money addressing it instead of you know taking the preventative approach so um, and the preventative measures to to um, you know solve these things before they get to a state where it's much more difficult to solve them and requires many more resources to then fix the problem so I'm sort of a big believer in ways that we can you know prevent things from getting to a state where it's very difficult um, and it costs much much more money than to solve them um, and I think you know this is um, the case with you know the backlog that you mentioned in terms of maintenance and T TCHC um, and trying to come up with those funding to make sure that everything is in a state of good repair. Um, so I don't know if we have, I don't know if I have a really good response to, you know, what is the magic sort of solution. I think it's a combination of things, a multi-pronged approach to how we look at the budget and where we're sort of spending money and looking at areas that, um, you know, we can think more creatively when it comes to those services and reallocating to other areas. We have a finite amount of, you know, resources and we have a lot of different expenditures um, and we all want to live in a city that's like livable. We all want to live in a city where, you know, there's amenities and there's parks and there's community centers and there's libraries um, and there's also, you know, different events that you mentioned that are taking place um, that contribute to our culture and the diversity of our city, um, which contributes to, you know, the economic development and functioning of our city as well. So 
I don't know. I'm not prepared to say that, you know, we should uh, reallocate money from those events that you mentioned or anything like that. I think um, there's an opportunity to sort of look at the budget as a whole in terms of where we're spending and seeing if there's uh, ways that we can, you know, uh, be more flexible with our revenue tools to increase the amount of money that we have and sort of looking at what areas of the city we can be a little bit um, more creative because, you know, you are right. We are in, um, I think, a situation where we do have a lot of expenses and i think it was just announced recently as well that you know the city has put a hold on i think something like 300 million dollars worth of capital projects um because of uh, funding that hasn't come in yet that you know uh, the city anticipated coming in from the federal and provincial governments to make up um um to make up that shortfall that we have so i mean i definitely think we have our challenges and i think the solution is um looking at how we can be sort of more creative and looking at some of these expanded revenue tools. I guess my main question from that was, um, is there room to have that difficult conversation when it comes down to deciding what's going to be a part of the budget and what isn't? Is there room to have that difficult conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think my approach is, my approach is, you know, and philosophy is to engage in these conversations because i think that i think the tension that exists between opposing viewpoints and you know the um back and forth that exists i think is actually helpful to democracy and is actually helpful to creative problem solving and coming up with solutions that work for folks so i would lean i would personally lean into those conversations and lean into you know your question around is there room and suggest that i think there's always room to have a conversation and to discuss this um, in an open format and figure out how we can, you know, stretch every single dollar so that the city works for as many people as possible. That's, that sounds really, really good. Uh, moving along, I wanted to talk about uh, homeless and uh, affordable housing. I think they, they kind of go hand in hand um, a little bit. Um, unfortunately, uh, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but it seem, it would seem that the maybe bulk is the wrong word, maybe the um, majority of the um, the homeless people in Toronto are within the area of your ward, is that correct? To be honest with you, I'm not sure if, uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. You could, you could be correct, I just, I'm, I'm not informed around uh, where the majority of folks are. Well, I, I you know, everyone, Everyone who was watching the news saw the uh, the way that they were evicted from the encampments. I think that was wrong. I think that um, you know these these they're people too, and um, they they need to be taken care of. And if the city hasn't taken care of them, if the province hasn't taken care of them, they're not doing their jobs, and uh, and and that's not right. And so I was. <clears throat> just wondering what what more can what can we do what is the I, I maybe the magic solution is not um, what I'm asking but I mean what more can be done to help um, homeless people and then um, to piggyback off that affordable housing you know we keep seeing condos go up we've seen condos it's it's crazy how many condos are going up and there's Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was always supposed to be an affordable uh, housing contingent, 
and it's not followed through and now we have less affordable housing i mean i just heard uh, a bunch of affordable housing is going to be opening up on kingston road so that's good but uh mm-hmm. it's not enough and i'm just wondering I'll, again i'm going to be quiet and i'm going to let you say whatever you want on that topic yeah no i appreciate that i mean i think it's a really important issue and um <clears throat> something that is currently um especially in my ward coming up as as I mentioned, the you know temporary shelter at Novotel Hotel on the Esplanade, um, and I think it's there's no easy solution. It's a very complex issue. Um, there's you know folks on both sides of the issue, um, you know who live in the who live in the neighborhood, for example, and you know who are sharing really sort of real emotional stories and lived experiences of them. Um, interacting with you know shelters and uh, unhoused folks and you know what we sort of do about uh, unhoused folks in the city of toronto i agree with you um that i think more needs to be done i think that we need to be solution driven and really look at um coming up with a strategy around wraparound supports and increasing the supports that we provide uh, to unhoused folks and preventative measures to make sure that folks, you know, uh, don't get into that situation um, and that also we're able to help people get out of that situation. So that requires a little bit of foresight and, you know, believing and trusting that, you know, the efforts that we're making and the investments that we're making and things that are invisibilized in some way when it comes to sort of like, you know, investing in education, investing in community centers, investing in all these things as preventative measures uh, in education, in, you know, uh, affordable housing, investing in all the different you know facets of society. Um, and we're sort of betting on that, that that's going to sort of work and prevent folks from, you know, being in a situation where they're unhoused. And I think we need to trust in that process and, you know, increase those supports that are currently, um, not in place uh, to the level that I think they need to be. Um, so I think, I think so that's what I would say in terms of, you know, supporting unhoused folks. I think that needs to happen. Um, in terms of um, your question around um, affordable uh, housing and the development sort of industry, you know, I went and toured 12 different uh, sites in my ward um, just two weekends ago, um, great TO sites, parking lots, uh, various sort of city-owned sites that have juris- the city has jurisdiction over, and different types of affordable housing, whether it be modular housing, whether it be condo developments with some affordable housing. You know, I think that when it comes to the question around affordable housing and, and building that, we need to really think about the goals that we've set for ourselves. And I think the city has set 40,000 new affordable housing units in Toronto by 2030 and how we sort of achieve that. And I think one of the realizations we need to come to as a society is that, you know, um, we need to figure out a way to be more flexible and to be more innovative when it comes to the way that we dictate uh, how housing is built. And what I mean by that is the official plan, you know, committee of adjustment, all these sort of systems that we have in place around how we build, you know, as much as I understand the benefit of these, um, these regulations and the benefit of, of having these things in place, they also provide certain barriers when it comes to regulations to the time and speed that things get built, to um, where you can build things, where you can't, you know, height, density, um, all those things are sort of like taken into account. And when it comes to 
building new housing, we know that, you know, every day, essentially, that you wait longer, the cost of supplies goes up, the cost of labor goes up, you know, the cost of construction costs in 2022 are now between 1.5 and two times those that were in 2018, when it comes to numbers. So, you know, we have to look at, you know, how we're funding this and what makes the most amount of sense when it comes to supporting the most amount of people as quickly as possible. And so I think that the city has an opportunity to play in the way that it sort of um, regulates some of these areas to see if there's ways that we can sort of introduce um, more efficiency and introduce more flexibility so that we can work with developers, so that we can work with community and neighbors to ensure that, you know, the development that's going in there uh, is the right development and i think the city has made it has made strides in this area um especially when it comes to sort of single family detached neighborhoods which make up the majority of our city um and looking at how we can you know implement um you know three or four story uh walk-ups um and these three or four story buildings easier in these neighborhoods in our in the city of toronto which currently or in the past wasn't the case where if you were a developer and you wanted to build a three-story small apartment or four-story small apartment you can't build that in a neighborhood that has all just single you know two-story houses so and i think that's changing and shifting and the city is taking a new approach to allow for more of that to happen by changing its regulations by changing what it allows as of right so um i think there's movement that is happening that will allow for more housing that will allow for more affordable housing and different ways of thinking about some of these systems in place, including a review um, on the Committee of Adjustment that is, you know, underway, I believe it's still underway, um, uh, and hopefully that'll lead to some improvements that are made to the way we uh, build housing. Sounds great. Uh, moving along, I wanted to talk about uh, crime and police. Um, I don't know if you heard in, in previous interviews, but I used to live in Ward 6, which is the former, uh, it's, sorry, the former Ward 6, which is now Ward 3. And one of the principal reasons we left is because of the crime that was happening in, specifically in our direct community, got worse and worse over the, the four, four or five years, four or five years before we left. Um, you know, a neighbor of ours was shot in broad daylight going to the store, you know, uh, stuff happens in the park that's literally right across the street from us. And, uh, it just got worse and worse. So we left and, um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on Toronto's crime rate on, um, what we can do that wouldn't be deemed racist or sexist or against somebody's religion um in, in terms of the tools to fight crime and um what your opinion is on on the uh job that the toronto police are doing go ahead thanks so i think it's a really interesting question around you know crime policing in the city um i think one of the automatic sort of default positions that we tend to go as a society when it comes to sort of crime is looking at, you know, more policing and more police officers. And my experience just from chatting with community and chatting with different folks um, in the neighborhood uh, has been that that necessarily hasn't been proven, um, you know, as a solution to reducing crime. So police, that I, the police, individuals that I've talked with when it comes to 
crime have you know said to me you know we've increased security maybe not necessarily policing but I'll, I'll use security as an example we've increased security um in our building or in our area and we haven't really seen you know uh, a decrease uh, in crime so i think you know through the research and through uh, conversations with community um, when it comes to sort of crime and figuring out how do we sort of prevent crime i think it requires a much deeper look um, and asking ourselves sort of like tough questions around, you know, why is crime happening? And looking at some of those social supports that I mentioned earlier and the different um, ways uh, our city can sort of, you know, support neighborhoods and what does that look like um, when it comes to sort of uh, crime. Um, and then secondly, I think, and I think this is related a little bit even to the earlier question around, you know, uh, shelters and supporting shelters and, and, and uh, unhoused folks, is um, looking at the way that we create community and you know build relationships. One of the things that you know creates um, safe communities and relationships and healthy com- and healthy communities is how people interact with one another and figuring taking the time and figuring out what does that look like and how as a city can we support those interactions from taking place. You know, it's really interesting when you take folks. You know, you mentioned encampments and we're, we took folks from encampments and we're we perhaps place them into temporary shelters and we just drop them into a different part of the city. And then we get folks who live around there, you know, asking the question, who are these individuals that are just have now appeared? The folks who are in the shelter don't know where they're, don't know who these other folks are from the outside who have already lived there. So it's a quite, quite a disturbance by displacing people in that way. And I think the solution to that, as much as like supports and wraparound supports and having, um, all these other sort of amenities there for folks is sort of looking at how people can create relationships to understand each other where they're coming from because i think that's the key to a lot of the issues that we're talking about including crime so strengthening those relationships and having i think a little bit of a um, a different approach into looking at why those things happen i think is probably a better way of uh solving um, the issue of crime rather than the band-aid solution or the after effect of something have already something taking place and then being the police responding to it so i think it's like again this sort of preventative measure and looking um looking at this through a world view of how do we prevent this from happening in the first place um and then the i think the other point that i would say just quickly is um i think we need to you know look at and i think this stems from sort of like the role of police in our society and uh really looking at you know um if police are, you know, necessary to attend to every single thing that, you know, goes wrong. So when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, you know, folks who are in crisis, uh, you know, I think the city of Toronto has just launched a pilot project where they have a crisis response uh, team that, you know, attends to folks that are in crisis when you call 911 instead of having the police uh, show up. So I think this is a larger conversation when it comes to sort of, you know, what is the purpose of, of police and having them respond to you know violent crimes um which makes the most amount of sense but looking at how you know we can uh, create other types of services to respond to other types of needs that doesn't require the police to to sort of you know go to those areas and i think that does a service both to those individuals who you know are in crisis um, but it also does a service i think to police who i'm sure if you talk to many of them uh, probably you know aren't trained and, and you know perhaps don't want to be in a situation where they're untrained to have to deal with folks with crisis so i think it's sort of looking at 
um, you know, the types of crimes that are happening, what those crimes look like and why they're there, and then the appropriate response and whether or not that, um, and whether or not police are the ones who um, should be the ones responding to it, or if there's other actors and stakeholders within our communities that can respond to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, now I wanted to talk about uh, public health. You know, we're just, well, depending on who you ask, coming out of a pandemic. And I'm just wondering um, what your opinion uh, is on uh, the city's response to the pandemic and uh, also um, what maybe could have been done, maybe more. And um, have we learned enough to deal with a future pandemic, possibly monkeypox? Go ahead. Uh, another great question. I mean, I think, I think the pandemic has definitely shifted the way that we as a society sort of look at um, our city and the way that our city sort of functions when it comes to our economy, when it comes to the services and amenities that we provide. I think it has really changed the conversation of how as a city we respond and we react to, you know, having to shut down our entire city essentially for almost two years or so uh, and being able to still deliver the services and the amenities that we need. Um, it's, I think one of the things that has sort of come out as a positive from the pandemic that I think will, you know, prepare us for the next pandemic that happens is how robust we as human beings are and how robust communities um, and neighborhoods um, and residents of the city of Toronto are when it comes to dealing with some of these, um, you know, existential crises that exist. And I think it sort of shifted people's thinking that, you know, we can think of different ways of doing things. We can, you know, move to an online method and provide services. You know, we can, as, as much as it's difficult, you know, teach seniors and the elderly, you know, how to use Zoom and how to use different ways to access services. So I think in some way it's given us hope and a bit of inspiration to think a little bit more critically, but also to think a little bit more um, in an open way around, you know, what city services look like and what our city looks like. And that can be applied to a variety of different, uh, you know, city services when it comes to um, the way that the city delivers services, just because we've always done it that way. And just because our system has existed the way it has for, you know, the decades that it has, maybe it's time to look at ways that we can improve and be more efficient or not even just efficient, but just do things in a different way. Um, and to be okay to explore that and to be okay to engage in that conversation with residences, with, you know, counselors, with levels of government, with different levels of government to figure out how we can do things in a different way. So, I mean, I think that's one of the benefits that's come out of, um, the pandemic. And I think in terms of like preparedness, um, for the next sort of iteration of what, you know, happens in the future. I think there's definitely many lessons learned and things that, you know, um, have come from going through this experience the entire world has that we can prepare for future, uh, you know, pandemics. Absolutely. And uh, I just got one last question. Uh, I ask all the candidates, but you can pass if you like. Um, is there anyone running for mayor or other city councillors or school trustee uh, that you'd be willing to endorse at this time? Yeah, there's no one at this moment, I think, that, um, you know, I'll be endorsing. Um, 
it's something that, you know, I'm still thinking through and seeing, you know, as more candidates sort of enter the race and um, what people are, you know, speaking to and what their platform is. I think one of the things I will say around uh, the campaign in general has um, is around, you know, the value of having, um, and I think you mentioned this at the beginning as well, the value of having new voices um, and folks who are, you know, willing to, um, take the plunge uh, in some way when it comes to putting their name forward and running in a campaign. So I think I just appreciate folks, you know, willing to participate in democracy and willing to participate in these conversations and to have these conversations with one another to try to make our city better. So my hat's off to everyone sort of like running in general and especially those folks who, like myself, are new to this process, who are young, who are just, you know, trying to find their footing and figure this out. I think it's a, an incredible journey and um, I think we should all be proud of these individuals and these, you know, young folks who've, uh, you know, put their names out there and um, who've taken that confidence sort of to do so, so. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, now's your time to talk to the uh, to the voters. You know, my uh, number one uh, market is Ontario. So and a lot of it is Toronto. So um, tell them your website again and, and anything else you wanted to add into this um, interview. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me again. Um, yeah, folks can reach me on you know social media, my website, igorsmarzik.ca my first and last name, .ca, um, to find out more information about me, who I am, uh, you know, where I come from, the different things I'm involved with, and the different uh, platform points that I that I stand for. Um, I think one of the uh, most critical sort of items that I think I would say to people um, is that I think our, you know, world has become very polarized in terms of, and recently in terms of, you know, uh, people being on opposite sides of different issues. And I think one of my main focuses and goals um, is to bring, is to bridge that divide that exists, to bring people together, to have conversations with folks, uh, to figure out, you know, what are the issues that are affecting people's lives today, tomorrow, uh, and in the immediate future, and trying to scale um, solutions uh, so they can work for as many people as possible. Um, so that's like the role that I want to play. Uh, prioritizing community, prioritizing the needs of residences is my main goal. Um, my campaign and I are planning to go to every single household in the ward. Um, I'm committed to the residences. I'm committed to working with folks um, and just coming up with solutions um, with individuals. So, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I tell all the people I interview, you know, election night for me is like Christmas. There's popcorn, there's pop, and I sit there. I'm not just watching the mayor's race. I'm watching each individual ward, especially the, the ones I've interviewed with, the ones I've talked to, and not just Toronto, the, the whole GTA as well. Um, and uh, so... I'll be watching, of course, and uh, I wish you nothing but luck on your campaign trail, and uh, thank you so much again for coming on and doing this interview. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.